You're listening to NFT 365, the first daily podcast on NFTs with your host, Fanzo, talking crypto, blockchain, Web3, non-fungible tokens, metaverse, and what the f*** is a non-fungible token? We'll get to that. It's time for today's episode of NFT 365, the only daily NFT podcast minting an NFT every day for 365 days. Powered by the ADHD coin at rally.io, here's your host and digital futurist, the ADHD superpowered Brian Fenzo. This show is not financial advice, so do your own damn research. What's up, friends? Welcome back to another episode of NFT 365. You know, and, and you know, as we're approaching episode 100, and you know, I feel like you know, it's kind of wild to think that even though we're 100, almost 100 straight days, uh, we are still not one third of the way there. But hey, that's that's part of this uh, of this fun journey. And uh, I just gotta give a shout out to uh, you know the Discord. I know that a lot of uh, you that listen are, are jumping in from listening to Discord, and and for many people, I think it's the the very first time that you've been in uh, a Discord. And I love that our community is so welcoming. And we just created a memes channel over there on the Discord. And uh, you know, big shout out to you know Carter and Kevin and uh, the all of those that are, are diving headfirst into uh, the meme corner. And I like to say, you know, I have no ego. I don't mind getting roasted. Uh, I've gone through some, uh, you know, comedy roasts before. Uh, and, you know, I have lots of, uh, let's just say, uh, quirks and little nuances that I'm sure people are going to be able to have some fun with over there in the Discord. So and if you're not in the Discord and you want to make some memes and have some fun, you tag me on, on the socials. That's always, uh, always appreciated. Uh, I social fans, or, uh, you know, you can check out our NFT 365 podcast, uh, on all of the socials as well. So we're on Instagram, we're on Twitter, uh, we're on Facebook as well. And, you know, I just dropped uh, a massive blog post, right? And the, the funny thing about it is I, I dropped a massive blog post, uh, that's a really long form content. And the irony is, the uh, the long form content, and I believe long form content is not dead. I mean, most of these podcast episodes are um, are pretty long um, in length. But the uh, title of the long form blog post that we just put up on the podcast website is "New to NFTs: What You Need to Know About Twitter in 2022." So the irony here is, I wrote a long form blog post about the shortest form social media um, platform. And, you know, it's for me, Twitter has been, I mean, it's my first love for social media. It's actually, you know, when I found Twitter, I remember it feeling like, oh, wait a second. Like, it's not just a closed off network like MySpace um, and, you know, early days Facebook. And for me, Twitter, the reason I love Twitter is that I believe it's the only platform where you can discover people that don't know you never heard of you, but you share a common purpose or passion, or you're having a conversation around um, the same topic. And I've been active on Twitter, you know, every day, or, you know, for 10 plus years. And at one point, when I started my Twitter journey, I actually created eight Twitter accounts, and I created 10 Twitter accounts. And the funny part about it is I social fans, which became my brand, my company was actually the eighth Twitter account that I had created when I joined. Cause I was like, Hey, I have eight things to talk about. I'm going to have a, a poker Twitter account, a technology Twitter account, a Pittsburgh penguins, Twitter account, a Jeep, Twitter account, a poker Twitter account. 
uh, because I'm I'm multi hyphenated, and I and I know for so many of us we are we are well rounded. But you know th- those times have changed. Uh, I went from ten back down, and you know currently I, I believe you know I'm technically managing four. Uh, Twitter accounts right now. You know, we have the podcast one, which I don't really count as as one of them. And I have my iSocial Fans brand, which is the one I use primarily every day, which kind of encompasses all things. It's the one that's verified, verify that has a you know 130,000 followers or so. And then I have Pittsburgh fans, which actually was my very first Twitter account, uh, and it's Pittsburgh underscore fans because all of my Twitter accounts were something underscore fans, F-A-N-Z, because, you know, my name's Fanzo, kind of made things a little bit easier um, in that realm. And so, um, you know, I started out with all these accounts, and so I still have Pittsburgh fans, which is the one I tweet out about, you know, Pittsburgh sports. Uh, I figure most people don't want to hear all of my Yinzer uh, talk about Pittsburgh sports. And then I have a, a poker account that when I'm, you know, playing poker, uh, when I'm watching poker, uh, I've uh, tweeted out of that account uh, pretty regularly. Uh, you know, and then I have a, another account, which I usually do for um, research and for um, some, you know, more anonymous type uh, posting. And of course, we have the NFT365 podcast uh, Twitter account here uh, as well. But, you know, for me, I will say, you know, last year or 2020 was, you know, the tough, one of the toughest years for so many of us. And for those that don't know, this part of my story is, you know, since 2004, I, I graduated uh, college in 2003, but since 2004, I've traveled for 35 plus weeks uh, of my uh, of every year. I've every job I've ever had has been a a massive amount of travel. I love travel. I miss it crazy right now. I miss travel like crazy. And and for me, you know, the of course the pandemic. You know, I've worked from home majority of my career, uh, especially you know on my own. But even when I worked for the government and then I worked for the data center company, um, I also worked from home for a good portion of that. But I never really like worked from home full time because I was always traveling like every week. I mean, three weeks of the month, every month I was always on the road. And I, and I love that. I know some people that sounds horrible, but, you know, I liked it, too, because I didn't have to go on the whole week. So I could be gone a couple of days, come home and see my daughters. But I will say when the pandemic kind of, you know, reared its head and I, I spoke at Warren Buffett's event. I was the keynote for um, his event on March 12th. And I flew home and, and then everything, of course, shut down from there forward. You know, for me, I had a lot of things that I had to discover about myself. Um, a lot of that time, you know, alone in my house when I don't have my daughters, you know, with the, the 50-50 custody that we have and, and not traveling. And I realized a lot of things about myself. And one of them was that I, I was not very good at, you know, pampering or rewarding myself or taking care of myself because... I, I kind of relied on my travels to do that, right? I'm, I've you know, flown over a million miles on Delta, so I'm diamond on Delta. I get upgraded you know, to first class almost every time. Uh, I stayed over you know, 1,200 nights at a Marriott, so Marriott always upgrades me to the suite. And I'm not saying any of that to flex. I'm just saying what I realized was no, nowhere in my life was I good at like kind of taking care of myself or, or rewarding myself. I would just work hard, you know, play hard and then, you know, kind of allow that pampering to exist, um, in my travel life. But, you know, it also real, I also realized, you know, through that, uh, that pandemic that, you know, part of my neurodiversity, part of my ADHD is that like, I don't like forced conversations. I actually hate talking on the phone. 
Uh, I know which might surprise a lot of people. Uh, it doesn't surprise my mom. My mom wishes I called her more. Uh, sorry, mom. Actually, mom's probably not listening, but um, I'm a mama's boy, so I have to say sorry, mom. But yeah, I don't like talking on the phone. I, I don't like calling people more so than anything else. Like I actually hate calling people because I feel like I'm just I'm like I'm I'm telling people I'm so important that you must stop what you're doing and pick up your phone. And like to me, I know that's not the case, but like it really bothers me. It's, it's bothered me my entire life. And it wasn't until I realized that it had a lot to do with my, my neurodiversity. And, you know, as that year was going on in 2020, you know, I recognized that, you know, I was creating content. I was doing a lot of virtual events. I think I did 75 virtual events that year. But what I realized was I was missing the, the participatory aspect of, of my, of my career, which, you know, when I'm on stage, you know, I look at what my job is, is having one of the greatest jobs in the world because people are giving me the thing that in many cases they value the most and, you know, money can't buy and that's their time and their attention. And I treasure that on stage and I miss the stages uh, ridiculously amount. And, but I also didn't recognize that if I'm not giving, if I'm not helping people, if I'm not providing value and realizing that I'm making a difference, it really is tough on my mental health. It's really a struggle. And I will tell you, I joined uh, Clubhouse, which those that don't know what Clubhouse is, is a social audio app um, that rolled out um, in early 2020 as the pandemic kind of uh, came on. And it, it kind of shot up, you know, it became extremely popular. And, and I logged on it the first time when it was still in beta. I had a download test flight and I got on and it was a very broy bro, you know, Silicon Valley um, why everyone over there is great and everyone else sucks. And I didn't even last a week. I uninstalled the app and I was like, yeah, screw this. I don't need this right now in my life. And then a, a good friend of mine, Lindsay, and a shout out to Lindsay, um, who is one of my you know dearest friends. Uh, and I actually got to meet her a couple of weeks ago for the first time in person. But um, she's someone I've worked with for, I don't know, t- almost 10 years, nine years. Um, but, you know, I, I, she, she messaged me one day and was like, Hey, you get, get back on clubhouse. Uh, there's some really great marketers on there, some great conversations. And I, I ended up jumping back on clubhouse and I was like, Oh, okay, this, I can start to see what this is about. And I had my aha moment on December 9th, uh, December 9th, I was scrolling the feed and you can kind of see what the rooms are on the app. And I, I rolled past a, a room titled Jack of all trades, masters of none. Welcome Jack of all trades masters of none welcome and i like i mean i put my hands in the air and i was like these are my people like holy crap there's a room that's like literally like made for me and i have always been a proud generalist i've always been when people like forced me to niche down i was not something i niched down and and so i ended up going in this room and i realized i didn't recognize anyone that was on the stage and there was a couple hundred people in the room uh, and i ended up staying in that room for about three hours I ended up raising my hand asking a question which i'll get back to in a minute and uh, then they were like, oh, wow, we'd love for you to stay up on stage. And I ended up staying on stage. And, and I realized, you know, after a couple hours in that I was the only white male on that stage for the two and a half hours. And it dawned on me that, you know, as much as I'm active on social media, as much as I am, um, you know, creating content, the people that were in this room are people that I hadn't connected with and it had not to do with their race, but they were just people that I didn't connect with. But I also realized that it was this amazing group of humans that were my people that I would not have discovered unless I came in that room. And I remember waking up in the morning on December 10th and I, I, I came downstairs in my house. I have wood floors. And I remember I kind of like slid across the wood floors, kind of like Tom Cruise and risky business. 
for the young millennials and Gen Z, you can just Google, uh, you know, risky business and Tom Cruise. But I, re- I, I stopped and I was like, whoa, what is this feeling? And it was one of the first times in that entire year of that early pandemic that I felt like whole. I felt like I, I made an impact. I found my people. And I will tell you, that started this great crazy addiction to Clubhouse where I started spending, you know, 60 hours uh, a day on that platform, or 60 hours a day, 60 hours a week on that platform. Um, and that continued for about eight months. And I, I love social audio. I think social audio, the beauty of it is that you can't mail it in. You can't outsource it. You can't have your assistant do it. Like the people that are there are actually there listening, right? And like, I wish I could see everybody that's listening to this podcast, right? But that doesn't exist. And I really loved the, the fact that they weren't recorded rooms and we were having amazing conversations on mental health and multi, being a multi-hyphenate and ADHD and then about public speaking and virtual events and um, storytelling. And, you know, I ended up doing a room with a good friend, Andy Henriquez, for over a year every single Friday. We did it for a, a complete year. I ended up launching my, uh, another personal branding room every Tuesday uh, with my good friend Scott. We did that for about six months. Uh, I, did a, uh, I created a club over there that uh, fast became one of the largest clubs. It was called the Misfit Mafia. Um, and it was one of the largest clubs talking all things storytelling and, and entrepreneurship. And then I, you know, I teamed up with uh, an amazing mental health leader, uh, Nidhi Tuari, and we did these rooms, these amazing massive rooms on mental health topics. And we still do them. I'm doing one actually later this month with, uh, with Nitty, who's, who has actually built the largest, um, club mental health club on, on clubhouse called mental health, uh, matters. But I say all of that because what social audio reminded me was this idea of participatory content, right? Where you, as the those that are listening and those that are creating the room, you're able to both shape the content and where it's going. And then it also reminded me the importance of equalizing the medium of content creation. Let me say that again. The importance of equalizing the medium of content creation. What I mean by that is when we watch TV, right, it's the broadcasting TV and we're passive consumers, when we watch YouTube, yes, we can watch, but our, our ability to contribute is after the fact in the comment section, right? And we're able to do that in text. Live video, which, you know, for those that don't know, live video is kind of where I kind of got my 15 minutes of fame and on Periscope and Meerkat and uh, Facebook Live, Instagram Live, uh, LinkedIn Live, all of those live video platforms. I spent a lot of time on the live video platforms from 2014 to, to 2018, and I love those platforms, but I was delivering content via video and people were watching live and commenting via text. And so there's immediately like a hierarchy. There's like a, you know, without us even realizing, there's a like, I'm talking to you and you are communicating with me, but you're doing it on a different medium. What's beautiful about social audio, both Clubhouse and Twitter spaces, is that it is equal, right? When someone raises their hand, they ask a question audio. They, they come on stage, their bubble is just the same as everyone else's bubble. And it's an audio to audio conversation, which really, in my opinion, makes people more relatable. It allows for more authentic and dynamic conversations. And it also shifts the need for us to feel like we have to always create, create, create. We could actually curate, curate safe spaces, curate conversations, curate amazing panelists that were you know part of um, the different rooms. 
And so social audio was amazing. And then the other part of it is because of the Clubhouse app, it added the thing that I believe has been missing the most from social media, which is serendipity. I believe serendipity, the idea that I walk, I, I scrolled that, that room on Clubhouse and I found that room titled Jack of All Trades, Masters of None, Welcome. And I realized also that I, how would I have found others who identify with that, right? Like, what am I going to go find a hashtag on Instagram and follow a bunch of people? What am I going to do? Like, search every Facebook group? Uh, how am I going to, like, where would I discover that content? Maybe, like, old school Yahoo forums or possibly on Reddit. Reddit might have been all of the, the place that that might have happened. And so me, for me, this like serendipity really was, is like a beautiful thing in social audio. But on top of that, it also really allows those that are willing to, to, to really follow my two rules. I have two rules with my press the damn button mentality and social audio, they're essential. And, and it's important for this conversation. And my first rule is that perfection is a fairy tale. Perfection is not the enemy of done. I hate that saying as well. I'm not a big fan of that one. Uh, I don't want to say hate. Hate's too strong. But if we say perfection's the enemy of done, we are we are still alluding to the idea that we we should achieve perfection. And I believe what perfection, the desire to achieve or seek perfection, is a guarantee that you will never be satisfied. And let's face it, in this world right now, the idea that we are, we are setting ourselves up to always feel as a failure is ridiculous because nobody is perfect. I mean, Mother Teresa would not have said that she was perfect. So who the hell are we to try to co- convey that we're perfect? And the beauty of that is we're seeing that across all social, right? Like Instagram used to be the filtered life, right? And everything had to have a filter and be perfection, right? And now we realize that that, that was really just a, a myth and fake. And, and we're seeing people now being more vulnerable, talking about mental health and, and having these conversations. So that was my first rule is of press the damn button is that, you know, you have to believe and embrace that perfection is a fairy tale. Now, rule number two of that, of only two rules, is that control is an illusion, you can only control yourself. You can't control what people do, what people say, how people show up, who shares, where things are going, what goes viral, what doesn't. And so if you can get over your need to be perfect and the fact that you can't control things, what it does is it allows you to use what I consider the most powerful phrase in any live content, live video, live audio, on stages, in person. This is, this is the phrase, you, are, are you, hopefully everyone is ready. This is the phrase that I believe is essential for, for building trust, authenticity, and standing out for the noise. And, and the phrase is simply, I don't know. Yep, I know, mind-blowing. If you are able, if you are comfortable enough to recognize that you are not perfect and that you cannot control every question and every variable and someone asks you a question that you are not confident with the answer, your ability to admit that you don't know something is the magic that actually adds validity to what you do know, right? We've all seen that, right? Like when we're like, we're listening to someone and they're like, they act like they know it all. And you're like, I don't trust anything that person says. But if someone says, you know what, I don't really know much about that topic, but let me get back to you or let me connect you with someone else. And then whenever someone asks another question, they're like, oh, that I know about. And they lean into it. What is the first thing? We're like, oh, yeah, they must know this because they were admitting what they didn't know. 
And I would even argue that I think websites and brands should put like an I don't know page on their website saying admitting what you don't know because we know that you aren't perfect. We know that you can't solve all of the world's problems. And by owning that, it actually, I believe, increases the credibility factor versus those that are faking it until they make it, those that are lying and showing up. Now, with all that being said, I said in a past episode, you know, there's a difference between transparency and oversharing. But there's also a difference between being vulnerable because it, it is part of the, the story and who we are. And then there's a, the idea of being vulnerable because you're being strategic in the emotional reaction that you're trying to get, right? And we're, we've seen this a little bit recently on, on social where all of a sudden everyone has ADHD or everyone um, is going through depression. And, and the sad thing about that is there are so many people that we need to hear that from but there are people that are using it as a marketing tactic or as a tactic to increase engagement. And, you know, I think that's a sad state. And I think, unfortunately, there's nothing we can really do about that. And, and I want to give everybody the, the benefit of the doubt. I'm a very passionately optimistic and, um, you know, <laughs> you know, let's just say I am a positive person and I like to believe um, in the good of all people. But um, without all that being said, now it comes down to, you know, Clubhouse had launched and then Twitter Spaces rolled out. And I mean, I'm a massive Twitter fanboy, but I will say the thing that Twitter has always sucked at, and I, I have good friends that are executives. I mean, I mean Kayvon, who's, the, who's uh, you know, on the executive team over there, who was the founder of Periscope, um, is a friend. The thing that Twitter has sucked at was marketing their own solutions, right? Like they, they were not great at marketing like what a retweet was, why 220 characters versus old school 140 characters. They weren't good at, you know, of marketing like their video content and how their algorithm works. Like I would argue their algorithm right now is only second to TikTok as far as a great algorithm for giving you the content that you want at the right time. But so Twitter rolled out Twitter spaces and they rolled it out beautifully in my opinion they were very transparent they 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 worked in public they were doing a lot of these um, and they still do them they do a lot of these town hall calls where they talk about the feature set that they have coming out um, they give people updates about what's going on um, in twitter and they do it really well with twitter spaces and twitter spaces has grown on me because it's set up a little different than clubhouse i like to think of like clubhouse feels more like a a workshop event where people are coming for those that are on stage, but people can come up and ask questions and participate. Twitter feels more like you're sitting at a giant dinner table and people are just pulling up to the table and listening. And then they can raise their hand if they want and add to the conversation. And for me, it's a little bit to do with the layout. It's also a little bit to do with the fact that it's Twitter. The other thing, the big difference between clubhouse and Twitter spaces is that club. When someone opens the clubhouse app, they're going there only for social audio. When someone jumps into a Twitter spaces, social audio room, maybe they were scrolling twi Twitter. Maybe they were looking at a hashtag. Maybe they were crafting a tweet and all of a sudden they saw that that space came up. Or maybe they put the, the Twitter, uh, the social audio, uh, the Twitter space on their calendar and they showed up just for social audio, right? There's more variables that are in play there. And so with all of that being said, the beauty of Twitter spaces, especially for this NFT space, is that anyone can create a Twitter space. Anyone that has a Twitter account, I think all you need is like 50 followers or you have to be following 50 people. They just don't want like bot accounts. But um, you, pretty much anyone can create a Twitter space. That, it, it's really beautiful. But the, the downside on why most Twitter spaces suck 
as well because anyone can create a Twitter space. And there is a difference between being a subject matter expert and being a great host. There's a difference between being a thought leader and being a facilitator of conversations. There's a difference between being a great keynote speaker and storyteller and someone that can really read the room and redirect the conversations. Now, I will say I take great pride in my ability to do this because I've, I've always believed that when you go to an event, panels, the, the structure of a panel, right? Like four, four subject matter experts and one moderator. I don't believe panels suck. I just believe that most moderators suck at moderating a panel. And in most cases, people, the, the events usually like, oh, the president of our company wants to moderate that panel. Oh, we're going to let, you know, Sally from HQ, you know, from H from HR moder- uh, moderate the panel just to give her some stage time. And I think that's a sad state because th- if you want to do that role well, I call it the triangle of trust, which is a whole nother thing. But like the triangle of trust is the secret for actually being a great host. What I mean by that is you have to have the trust of those that you're on your panel that you're going to make them look good. You have to have the trust of the audience that you're going to curate a great experience and that you understand their problems and what's going on in their world. And then the end of the triangle is that it's your job to make them look good and connect those dots, right? So that's that full triangle. Now, here's the thing. On Twitter Spaces, you know, I, I, I do all of our interviews for the podcast on Twitter Spaces. I host a lot of Twitter Spaces. Actually, as soon as I'm done recording this, I'm, gonna do a, I'm doing a, a Twitter Space with uh, the 90s Babes uh, NFT uh, project. We're talking mental health on Twitter Spaces. Um, so I do a lot, a lot of social audio. But here's, here's the, the thing that I want to, sh- to, to help everyone is that I could do a whole, like, I mean, I could do multiple episodes on what it takes to create a great Twitter space as a host. But here's the, here's the thing. I actually think it's more important to know how to be a great Twitter space question asker, right? That's my official, the person asking questions. How can you be someone that uses Twitter spaces to get on people's radar, to make an impact, to grow your following and ultimately stand out with who you are, what your, what your brand is, maybe even stand out with the collection, the NFTs that you own. And so I think that is a skill set that most people underestimate. And I will tell you, one of the most important aspects of this is you must listen more than you talk, right? Like the whole, we got two ears and one mouth. Now that's funny coming from me, right? Because all these podcast episodes are long. You guys, you know, everyone who's listened to every single daily episode, you know, I talk a lot. I've, you know, I came out of the womb talking. My mom's you know, very proud that I found a career that is keynote speaking and a podcaster that, it, you know, it just allows me to do what the, the one you know, creative skill that I have, which is talking. But with that being said, the reason I say that listening is more important than what talking is here's the magic for, you know, when you're going to raise your hand to ask a question, here's what I go through. And the funny part about this is I've closed a six-figure influencer deal by using this one strategy to get on the radar of a company that I've been trying to get on the radar for years and they were not paying attention to me, but they were hosting a room. And I was like, you know what? I got this. And, and just the context, uh, the name of the company uh, you know, is New Era Hats. And so I, I, their CMO, one of their, their CMO, I think from the Canada region was on stage and, 
And the, the, I remember the, reading the title of the room and I was like, you know what? I want to listen to what the conversation's about. And so I listened to the host reset the room, talk about, you know, what was the, why they brought this room together. I listened to a couple of the panelists who were talking about what the room was all about, why, why they, they were there and they were sharing their, their narrative. And then I listened to the, the gentleman from uh, New Era Hat, who was, whose radar I wanted to get on. And I was listening to him share, and I was like, man, he didn't give me enough information. So I clicked on his bio, I went over to his LinkedIn, and I went into his LinkedIn, and I started reading some of the, the comments that he made on other posts. And I was like, oh man, like he really cares about you know, the, the, the creator and the artists behind some of their, their most exciting um, their hats that they've been, been putting out there. And I was reading this through the comments. And so here's the magic. What I did was I waited until you know he had answered a question and it had gone around to others, but he had it, like he hadn't gotten a question asked to him in a while, and I was like, okay, here's my chance. So I raised my hand on the app. I hit you know raise my hand, and they pulled me up there. And this is where that magic comes because if I was going to ask the question for myself, it was going to make it about me. If I was going to ask the question about just new era hat. Oh, look, and Siri's talking to me on my watch. Then it was going to be very siloed. But what I, what I framed the question on was what would the audience that I know why they're here for, what would they care about? And how can I ask the question in a way that demonstrates my knowledge and experience, but makes it about the, the greater audience and then directing it towards the person that I want to answer the question. And the key to doing this and it works in every Twitter space that I'm ever a part of, is you have to listen to what is the vibe and energy? What are the things that are being said? But we can't repeat the same questions. But we also have to recognize what are the things that those people are passionate about? What are the, what's the underlying, like, I will go through the profiles on Twitter spaces, and I'll click, okay, that, there's an artist, there's an artist, oh, there's a, a creator, there's an inve- inventor. Okay, okay, there's a lot of artists in this room. Okay, when I ask my question, I'm going to ask a question that, that attracts, that, that is appealing to the artist community because there's more artists in the actual Twitter space, right? I'm not an artist myself, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to actually shade that question a little bit so that it, it, it's appealable to them because here's the thing that happens is if you ask a great question to the person, but it doesn't appeal to the audience, they're going to say things like, and I say these, hey, that's a great question, but it's really not on topic. Why don't you send me a direct message? which let's face it, who knows where those direct messages go. Or if you, say, if you ask a question that is very me-driven, me the answer for the most part is going to be short because we all, for mo- the most part, as thought leaders, as subject matter experts, respect people's time. And if it seems self-serving, it doesn't seem like it's, it's, it's worth elaborating on. And so with, that, with the new era hat person that went up there, I set it up perfectly, right? I, I waited, I did my research, I asked the question, I said, I know for a lot of us here in the audience you know, that think of ourselves as, as fans and consumers and influencers, what are some of the things that we can do to get on our favorite brand's radars? Like, how can we not be annoying yet still get on the radar? Because, you know, I'm a guy that loves hats. And I mean, New Era is up here on stage and I would love to work with New Era. And I've been, you know, tagging them for years, but I've never really got on their radar. Could you, you know, as brands, give us a little um, idea of how we could be, you know, get on the radar without being annoying? Well, you see what I did there was I didn't say I want the New Era person to answer it, right? Because that's always awkward. And I didn't say like, hey, I want to be a new era influencer. What I did was I framed it as a we 
and all the things that we think about, right? These are the problems we have. And then I identified my connection to one person, but then I asked it to the broader group. And of course, what happened was the host is like, woohoo, that's a great question. You know, I think, uh, let's send that over to the CMO of New Era. Then I know a couple other people are going to want to jump in. What happened? Five seconds in, he's like, wait a second, like, you're the guy that wears hats on stages. Like someone else had mentioned you. You know what? Send me a DM. Um, I would love to uh, you know, like figure out a way to work together. Then they answer my question. And for me, it was so funny because when they sent me the DM, and, and this is maybe a little bit too much transparency, but they were like, wow, we just loved your question. And I, I was like in shock that we hadn't worked with you yet. I'm so glad that you raised your hand because if you hadn't, I don't, I don't know if I would have realized that these two worlds were connected. Like, you're like, man, I'm just so glad Clubhouse existed. And for me, it was like, yeah, me too. I'm also glad that I knew what I was doing when I asked that question. And so I say all of that because in Twitter spaces, this is what I hear way too often, is people will raise their hand, they'll wait to get asked their question, and they'll ask a very me question, or a very individual question, or they won't ask a question that is broad enough for people to actually you know, provide value on. And, and part of that is you kind of have to always come with two questions when you raise your hand. One question that is like, man, this is the question I'm excited to ask. And then one question that you're like, you know what, if someone already asked that question or asked something similar, or if the person that I was hoping to answer answered the question in front of me, and I don't want it to be all about that person because that's a little bit awkward, I have this second question for me in my back pocket. The other thing that you want to make sure that you're doing on Twitter spaces or on Clubhouse and social audio is that you also want to recognize you know, the words that you're using and make sure that you're using words that are inclusive. And we all make this mistake. I make the mistake as well, where I'll say, hey, hey thanks guys so much for, for bringing me up on stage and gals right? Which is like, okay, hold on a second. That's not cool, right? Because I'm almost qualifying, right? We can say, thanks everyone for, you know, bringing me up on stage. I'm excited to be here, making our sure that we're using inclusive language. We also have to make sure that we, you know, and this is coming from someone that loves to give TED Talks when I, when I talk on stage, but you might notice when I ask questions, I don't ask questions that are very long-winded. I give a, I, the way that I do is I acknowledge the, the room, I set up the question with a little bit of context. I don't say, you know, to give a little background about myself, I don't ever say that. But I'll say, you know, with, you know, with my, you know, I worked for the government for nine years in cybersecurity. And, and so for me, security is something that is important, but it's kind of my past life. And so here's the question I would love to set for you, for, for you as the, the panelists. And, you know, and I love that we have someone here representing from, you know, whatever that company is. See how I, I set that question up, right? And I also tied in my, my, my connect, my background. And so I acknowledge and say, thanks everyone for letting me hear. Great room, loving these conversations. You know, for me, as someone that worked in cybersecurity for nine years, and then I, and now I'm setting it up, and then I ask the question, right? Now, the other part of this is that in some cases, you'll, you'll want to ask a question without giving all of the context up front in the hopes that they ask you like, oh, you know what? I'm curious, what about, you know, what about this you know, scenario is most important to you, right? Because now they're creating a conversation or a dialogue. To me, these, this is a great way to stand out. The other thing that I do is I, I use the emojis in Twitter spaces to let the, uh, let the, the panelists know that I'm, of course, uh, paying attention. I also, while I'm in there, I look at other people's bios and say, if they care about this same topic on Twitter spaces that I do, more than likely, they're probably someone I should be following as well. 
I'm also not afraid to share it out. Um, I tweeted this out earlier today, but I don't know. This is kind of breaking news uh, for everyone that's listening. Um, right now, today, uh, and I believe the next couple of days, probably into the future, uh, it costs zero ETH and, and, and actually no gas. Zero ETH and no gas to retweet somebody, to, to like a tweet, or to celebrate a Twitter space that you're in. Yep, it costs zero ETH. And I know that's a little bit... I'm, I'm having a little fun here, but we... On Twitter, I, there's two things that I think people don't do enough of. First of all, they don't follow enough people. Nobody cares about the the percentage of followers versus following. That's something that used to be talked about that's no longer talked about. Twitter's algorithm is going to organize things for you. And then I also think people don't do enough of quote retweeting and and sharing something from someone else, but adding your own take, right? Because people are following you for not only the things you find value, but also your take on that topic or that value. So if you're going to share out a Twitter space, why not share it out and say, this is my favorite takeaway of this. This space is great talking about this, this, and this, and then tag the people that were on stage. Well, now you're, de- you're demonstrating that you're paying attention. You're highlighting the things about the space that you like the most, and you're putting it on the radar of the people that are on stage. It costs zero ETH, zero money. It takes maybe 15 seconds to do, but you'd be amazed, I will say. And, and I will you know, tell you that it kind of goes back into my, like, my, bigger, <laughs> my bigger social media mantra. And it's simply show you care. I believe the bar for caring right now on social media is pretty low. And what I mean by caring is not like liking everything or retweeting everything or, or tagging people in every damn tweet. What I mean by that is when people are, are usually just, you know, jumping and saying like, hey, Brian, I love that you have a podcast. Um, can I be on it? Right. They'll tweet me that. What if you went into my account, realized what my podcast is about, went into the podcast account, went to my website and then drilled in and looked at all the episodes and then tweeted me and said, Brian, I love your podcast. My favorite three episodes that you did are this, this and this. Um, thanks so much for the content you're creating. If you're ever looking for a guest that's talking about this, let me know. Guess what I'm going to do with that? First of all, I'm going to be like, hey, they did their research. They, they took the time to care about me. Now I'm going to care about them and who they're about. Then I'm going to follow them. And then I'll be like, oh, I don't know if I have someone that's talking on that topic. Maybe I'll add them to my list. And so all I did there was care more than everyone else. The amount of people that send me a DM right now that say, I want to be on your podcast or Brian, please talk about our project. And they're not even following me on Twitter or the podcast account. Guess what the chances of someone asking, you know, a cold ask that isn't even following me on social. What's the chance of them getting on the podcast? A hard no, 0.0%. I know that sounds, and I'm not a jerk, but I'm just going to say, I, that's like a line for me. Like, don't ask me to care about you without caring about me or at least valuing my time or giving me a little bit of that social currency and following me on social. You'll notice if you tweet about this podcast, I follow every single person that tweets about the podcast. Because if you took the time to listen to this podcast, there's a good chance you might be sharing something or talking about something that is also valuable for me to follow. I follow a lot of people on Twitter, but the algorithm does a great job of filtering those things down that makes it all worth it for me. The last part about Twitter spaces or social audio is you also want to be very aware of your 
you know, how clear and how you know good your audio is. Now, for the most part, AirPods work pretty well. Um, for those that listen to me on Twitter Spaces or in Clubhouse, I actually use my podcast microphone, the same one I use for the show. Uh, I just have a dongle plugged into my uh, into my actual phone that allows me to to use a professional microphone through my my Rodecaster board. But if I'm not at my desk, I'll use my AirPods. Um, and if I don't have my AirPods, I'll use speakerphones, speakerphones, as long as there's not, my kids aren't around or there's not dogs in the background or, or whatever it may be. And then the other part of this as well is you have to be respectful for the spaces. One of my secrets, and this is the one I'll kind of close with. One of my secrets is that if I go onto a space to raise my hand and ask a question and, you know, I'm verified on Twitter, I, you know, I have a fairly large following. So for a lot of times people are going to bring me up no matter what, but they bring me up and I ask a question and they'll be like, oh, that's a great question. They'll answer the question. One of the things that I'll do, and you'll, you'll see me do this, is if they didn't ask me to stick around or if they weren't like, hey, Brian, you know, like, that's a great question. I'd love to see if anyone else has any questions for you. I'll stay on stage for like five minutes or so, but then I will actually hold down on my face and say, switch to listening. And I'll put myself back in the audience and then I stay in the audience and listen, put on up emojis and, and support the show. Because here's the thing, there are a lot of people that do drive-by thought leadership. And I think of drive-by thought leadership just as bad almost as those that message me without even taking the time to follow. What I mean by that is they will only support or be in a room if they have the microphone. And right now on Twitter Spaces, there's a lot of people like that. They will come in the room, three seconds in the room, they raise their hand, they'll jump up, they'll ask, they're like, oh, oh let me, I have a question for you, they'll ask a question. If I push them back into the audience because I need the room, they'll immediately leave the room and jump into a different Twitter space. To me, that's pretty insulting. I, 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 now, if it happens once, eh, hey, something came up. It happens twice, okay, hey, I'm going to keep an eye on that. It happens regularly, I'm not going to pull you up to ask questions. I'm not going to respect your time, right? Because I think, and it's just a little bit of like one of those things where we have to recognize that if we, if we want that respect and we want value, that's the things we have to do. And I will tell you, people pull me up on stages that they don't pull up much bigger accounts on stages. And oftentimes they'll tell me, Brian, the reason why is we know that you respect the space, that you're there to support us. And if you don't have anything else to add, you'll move yourself to the audience so that others have a chance to speak. I mean, especially white men of all of my listeners, the white men that are listening, we have to do a better job. And I, and I say we, cause I'm included in this of making space of creating space of giving up our own seat and our own microphone in some cases so that the, so minorities and, and uh, those that identify as women and non-binary have a chance to have their voices heard. You will notice a lot of times that if I'm brought on stage and there are other people that are on stage and people direct the first question to me, I will kindly ask, hey, would you mind the others ask, answering first and I'll, I'll gladly go last. That might be like, oh, Brian's trying to be a gentleman or Brian's just trying, like, you know, trying you know, just to act like he's you know, nice. But honestly, it's because I love to talk and I have a lot to say. But I also recognize that I have way more opportunities that have been given to me in my life. And I am very blessed with my white privilege to have had opportunities to use a mic in many other scenarios. And by me simply waiting my turn, maybe someone else says something that they wouldn't have been able to say because I already said it. Right. And, and I, and I hate that feeling. Now 
the flip of that is I also hate um, dead, dead, <laughs> dead silence, like a, as a radio DJ. Um, so if it's like, okay, we're going to let anybody here on the panel answer. And if it's radio silence for too long, I will jump in because I don't like that, that silence. But I, I just want to put that out there that we do have to make sure that we pull other seats up to the table. Um, and then lastly, I'll say, you know, I don't do manals, which are panels that are all men. I don't speak at events that are not, that are not, um, you know, well supplied with a diversity of voices, a diversity of people, diversity of race, diversity of sex that are on stages. You know, I, I backed out of what was my dream event as a keynote for CES, one of the largest technology shows ever. And I backed out because there was only white men on the, on the uh, event. And when I made uh, noise about that to the team, they added one minority male and which was better than what it was before, but I, I was still massively insulted that there was no women that were on that, on that panel, on that, on the, the roster. And so I ended up pulling myself out. I didn't make a big deal out of it. I maybe only talked about it three or four times total um, ever. But for me, it's, you know, it's about what I'm associated with, about the world I want to create. And it's about, you know, a lot of times it is optics. A lot of times it is, you know, even if, you know, I don't want to be a part of those things by being a part of it and, and kind of putting my name there, I'm also signaling that apparently it's not so important that I'm willing to, you know, pass up on the payday or uh, lose out on that opportunity to speak. And unfortunately that event team that was running that event that year, um, they didn't come back the next year, which was probably a good thing. But when I applied the, fo- the up the following year to be a speaker, um, I didn't even make it to um, like the first round of audition. So I don't know if I burn a bridge by, by standing up, but I have no regrets and I you no know, qualms about that. So with that being said, I'm going to include in the, in the notes, um, the show notes here, uh, the blog post, which is new to NFTs, what you need to know about Twitter in 2022. Um, it's a pretty long blog post, but I think that you'll get some massive value out of it. You know, I talk about, you know, leveraging hashtags about, um, you know, what you need to remember about, you know, the difference between a hashtag and at sign. Talk about Twitter lists. I talk about some of the tools that I use to give me like a dashboard of all of the, the tweets. Uh, I talk about the difference between mobile and iPad and desktop Twitter, um, you know, and also talk a little bit about social audio and um, some of the other things that I kind of mention here at a higher level. So, you know, I think, you know, Twitter is here to stay. There's no other platform in the world that allows us to kind of have that opportunity. But I will tell you my mindset with Twitter, and this is where I will leave you, is that I always think of my tweets as a one-to-one conversation that is happening in public. Because what Twitter is, Twitter is an unfiltered fire hose of public conversations. And if you remember that and you recognize that not everyone's going to see every tweet, it's okay to repeat the same type of you know, tweets uh, on a regular basis because we're not seeing everything. But it's also about that conversation. Sometimes facilitating a conversation, sometimes driving a conversation, sometimes highlighting another conversation. But if you're able to embrace Twitter as that unfiltered fire hose of real-time conversations and you're able to craft your tweets as one-to-one messages that are happening in public, you're going you're gonna to find value on the platform like I do. Twitter is the first app that I open in the morning and the last app I close at night. And for all those that are following on Twitter, that engage on Twitter, uh, thank you for the time. Thank you for following. And um, I appreciate you. 
Lastly, you know, this podcast is super powered by the ADHD coin at Rally. We actually hit an all-time high yesterday on Rally um, for our coin. Our coin um, just creased over uh, the $12 mark, um, and which is pretty cool because uh, I had hoped at some point this spring we would hit over the $10 mark, which we ended up doing uh, the first week of January. And then just recently crossed over that $12 mark. So uh, exciting times ahead. It's not really just about the dollars of the of the coin, right? It's the utility, you know, the NFTs that we have supporting the podcast. And really, I, I thank everyone who's holding it, right? The more people that are holding the coin, uh, the more value that the coin has and goes up for all of us. So it is a, a, a perfect example of we are greater than me. So if you want to check out the coin, just go to ADHDcoin.com in any of your browsers and it'll redirect you to Rally. Until tomorrow, my friends, make a good one. Cheers. This show is not financial advice, so do your own damn research.